Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fest Podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pre-gaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So this week, this is going to be first of many episodes where we're going to have a repeat band or artist. So going through my concert history and then getting into some of the Slam Fest shows later on. There are going to be repeat bands and repeat artists, but the, the beauty of, of the way that this is set up is there are obviously differences in the tours, uh, the albums that they're supporting, different band members will be coming in and out, so there'll be lots of content, um, lots of things to discuss, and looking forward to uh, the episodes kind of growing as we go from from here. So last time we talked about White Snake, they were my first concert back in November of 1987. So when we saw them, it was early on in their headlining portion of the tour that was supporting the 87 album. That tour ended up lasting through August of 88. Um, hugely successful tour uh, behind a uh, a huge album um, took them through through uh, through August. So at some point after that, and I don't know the the details of it, but Vivian Campbell left the band. He was either fired or quit. I don't know which, but he ended up going on and joining Def Leppard. So David Coverdale uh, shortly thereafter hired Steve Vai. Uh, my background with Steve Vai, uh, 1986, probably similar to most people. So we, there's a combination of the movie Crossroads and him being part of David Lee Roth's uh, band um, with Edom and Smile uh, being released in 1986. So again, the Crossroads movie, I can remember watching that movie and and obviously rooting during the uh the guitar duel there at the end rooting for the devil's guitar player which was played by by Vi and um of course him losing um you know I was uh um <laughs> wouldn't say upset with it but you know I was obviously rooting for for him to win because he was playing the type of music that I liked. And then later on, when you learn that Vi played um, all of the guitar parts, I think, except for I read somewhere that he didn't play the slide, any of the slide guitar stuff, but obviously that classical stuff that uh, um, Ralph Macchio was playing at the end, that was all played by Vi. So that made me feel better, um, <laughs> even though his character lost at least he was playing all the guitars. So, and then obviously the Edom and Smile, Yankee Rose getting released, and and um, you know Vi really being the hot shot um, guitar player, um, you know at that at that time. So when I heard that Coverdale had hired him, um, I was I was excited to see what they could do uh, in the studio, and then where that would lead. Um, when they eventually went on 
went on tour. So the slip of the tongue tour in 1990 is what we're going to discuss today. It was dubbed the Liquor and Poker Tour, and I, I don't even remember that. I, I was just seeing that uh, in in doing a little bit of research here. Um, but the show we're going to talk about is the White Snake Bad English, April 28th, 1990, Omaha Civic Auditorium, Omaha, Nebraska. White Snake. Are you ready? So again, the Slip of the Tongue tour started in early 1990. Um, the first leg of that tour in the in the states was actually opened by Kicks, and I can remember when those initial dates got released. Um, our date wasn't on there yet, but um, Kicks being listed as the opener, I was <laughs> I was excited. I was a huge fan of the Blow My Fuse record. Um, that came out in 1988, and, and Kicks had been touring uh, on their own in clubs. They they hooked up with both Rat and Tesla um, in 1989 on some uh, arena tours, and then that album still had some legs, and and they were still promoting it. So uh, they were opening the first part of this tour, but eventually dropped off and got replaced by Bad English. So Bad English, consisting of Neil Sean, Jonathan Kane, both from Journey. Then you've got John Waite on vocals and Ricky Phillips on bass from The Babies. And obviously John Waite uh, being a solo artist there in the early to mid-80s. And then you had Dean Castronova, um, who was in a band called uh, Wild Dogs uh, on drums. And so there you had a super group. Um, interesting, my uh, um, you know background with Journey, uh, obviously uh, I'm 47 right now, so... Uh, being born in the early 70s and, you know, being a teenager, starting uh, my teenage years there in the early to mid-80s, obviously was aware of who Journey was. Um, they were huge at that time, and that started in the uh, early to mid-70s, but really blew up, you know, as I was, you know, getting introduced to MTV and, and uh, they, of course, they were on the radio all the time but the crazy thing was I did not purchase anything by them until I know they had that uh, hugely successful greatest hits album that came out in 88 
um, but I don't think I bought it until the early 90s. Again, just being inundated with Journey all the time, whether it was on MTV or on the radio, I didn't uh, feel the need. And again, they just weren't, you know, I was I was into the hard rock stuff. Um, you know, they, they just weren't uh, what I was looking for at, at the time for something to go out and and buy. Not that I didn't like the songs, but they didn't uh, they didn't look like Rat. They didn't look like Twisted Sister. Um, you know, they didn't look like those bands that I was getting into at the time. Uh, the Babies. So I didn't, you know, I, I probably bought a anthology from them 20 years ago or, or so. Um, didn't have any of their stuff um, prior to that. Obviously knew the songs, isn't it time, every time I think of you, back on my feet again. These are all radio hits that that we've all heard before. Um, but after getting the anthology, you know, some uh, if you've got the time, Head First, Midnight Rendezvous, some great songs, great... Uh, and again, they were, you know, their heyday, you know, mid to late 70s uh, time frame, so that's... Uh, what they what they brought to the table. So the Bad English debut album released in June of '89. Originally uh, had the single "Forget Me Not" um, as the album was was being released. Um, September of '89, "When I See You Smile" was released as a single and exploded. Um, was at number one for two weeks. Again, this was as I was going into my junior year in high school. Uh, couldn't uh, get away from that song. Um, did I like the song? Um, not, not particularly. Um, I mean, it was it was fine. Again, it was just one of those songs that uh, you heard every hour uh, on the radio. Um, and then later in '89, "Price of Love" came out again. Another. Uh, quote-unquote power ballad off of this album ended up reaching number five so in my book they were really dubbed a a ballad band you know I hadn't heard forget me not or uh, you know seen the video for that at all so all I heard was you know these ballads and so I kind of thought that that they were a pop band and and there you go um What's interesting about them getting on the White Snake tour is they had um, just headlined a venue called the Music Hall in Omaha in November, the previous November, um, which is probably about a 2,500 seater. So you know they were gaining traction with those with those ballads and and started headlining some you know some small to mid-sized venues on their own. Um, so that's my experience with Bad English. Obviously, you know my history with White Snake from the from the first episode of this podcast. So I'm gonna say five friends and my girlfriend at the time went to the show. My mom drove us there. The show was on a Saturday. Um, you know, got to the venue, got in. We were all on the floor, and again, my girlfriend at the time actually snuck in a uh, camera and, I, and we got, got some really cool pictures at this show and I'll, I'll post them on the site 
um, um, shortly after the release of this episode. But amazing what you can uh, get uh, quality-wise out of those. Uh, whether it was a disposable camera, I guess I can't remember what what it was exactly. But we've got some great pictures um, of both bands. So bad English. Uh, obviously opened, came out first. Um, their set list, best of what I got, ready when you are, when I see you smile, heaven is a four-letter word, price of love, rockin' horse, missing you, head first, and closed with forget me not. So interesting looking at that nine-song set. Uh, you got one song uh, from the babies, one song from John Waits solo career and then seven songs off of the debut album um best of what i got leading off i mean the way that that song leads off the album i mean it kind of sounds like a, a concert opener everybody kind of playing and and uh just an intro kind of that intro uh made sense um interesting when i see you smile was so early uh in the set um, again, can remember, uh, you know, again, I didn't know that much at the time, uh, thinking that they were a ballad band, but I was definitely impressed with uh, Neil Sean's playing. Um, and again, the band was tight. Uh, they were they were good. Um, Rockin' Horse, great song. You know, they ended up coming out, and uh, uh, they brought stools out when they ended up doing Missing You, so it was basically an acoustic version um, of that song, uh, which was cool. Obviously, I knew, I knew that song. Um, the baby song was was cool, and then closing with Forget Me Not uh, was, was good. So again, overall, they were good. Did they fit the bill? Um, again, I, I would think that Kicks would have been a better match um, for them. But they weren't uh, uh, they weren't bad. Certainly wasn't something that's like oh you know they oh, that sucked. Um, no, not at all. It was they were they were good. So then moving on to White Snake. Go through their set list um, quick. So they let off with slip of the tongue. Slide it in. Judgment Day. Slow and easy. Is this love? Kittens got claws. The Deeper the Love, Cheap and Nasty, Crying in the Rain, Fool for Your Lovin', Here I Go Again, and closed the uh, the regular set with Bad Boys, and again that Children of the Night interlude, uh, they didn't change the arrangement um, from the previous tour. And then they encored Give Me All Your Love and, and Still of the Night. So looking at their set list, you got two songs off of Slide it in. Six songs still off of the 87 record. And then six songs, actually, um, from Slip of the Tongue. So um, that's a lot. Um, I think they were they were proud of the, the album and, and wanted to showcase it. And uh, um, I think, you know, overall, you know, looking into it a little bit, I mean, Slip of the Tongue, great opener, great upbeat, lots of guitar fills. Could really showcase Vi uh, right out of the gate. Um you know, Judgment Day was was cool. Of course, Slow and Easy um, can you know remember? You know, they had really, if 
from the arrangement of that song really started with that drum um, drum part um, you know before kind of getting into the bluesy uh, mellow guitar uh, start just to get people knowing you know what what's coming next uh, Kenton's Got Claws was fantastic live great upbeat song and actually Vandenberg's uh, guitar solo was was after that song um, Cheap and Nasty, great, um, great song to do live. Um, you know, Fool for Your Lovin'. And um, after that, that led into Vi's uh, solo and, and can remember Coverdale, you know, really introducing, really, uh, you know, building it up, introducing him, you know, by saying Mr. Steve Vi and, of course, Echo going on his, on his, uh, on his voice when, when he said his last name. Um, his guitar solo was great, but um, he ended up hooking his guitar, uh, one of his guitars during the solo to a chain that ended up lifting it high above the stage, a la Ace Fraley's uh, solo during the Dynasty and Unmasked tour. So, um, you know, pretty much identical to that. So, uh, Interesting nod uh, to Ace, I guess. It, it just, I guess, it was it was a little bit. I remember seeing that and, and obviously knowing uh, that Ace had done that, and you know, I was a little surprised that he used that same gimmick. But overall, his solo was was great. Um, you know, staging wise, similar, very similar to the '87, '88 tour. Multiple stairways, ramps. Um, lighting rig was different, um, you know, so the, the lighting rigs going from uh, back of the stage kind of to the front um, were mobile and ended up, um, you know, kind of coming down uh, and ended up being vertical uh, by the end of the show. So they slowly uh, kind of did that, um, whether there were three or four of those trusses that ended up doing that. Um, you know, uh, Vi had his, you know, the guitars that you'd expect him to have, the, the uh, Fire Flames uh, guitar, double neck heart guitar, um, you know, from his David Lee Roth days. So that was, that was cool. Um, they had banners that were similar to the ones used in the Deeper uh, the Love video that dropped down, um, basically showcasing the album cover of... Uh, slip of the tongue but you know overall Steve Vai was amazing I mean he was definitely a draw I mean some of the friends that went you know uh, to this show uh, were specifically there to see him um, and he was um, he was he was good really really animated uh, and really uh, really entertaining so like I said Got some great pictures, and we'll uh, I'll up to, we'll upload those to the site um, shortly after this uh, episode is released. Um, pulled the review from the Omaha World Herald again. Uh, just some some points to make here. So the headline was actually "Bad English, uh, comma White Snake Crank Out Hits and Twin Bill." So I'm guessing that "Bad English" was listed first because of uh, alphabetical order. <laughs> Um, they were certainly, it was, this was not a co-headlining show. Um, so I, I found that a little bit surprising. 
um, you know, talking about bad English uh, in the review. Bad English performance was not typical of the average warm-up act. Within 15 minutes of hitting the stage, vocalist John Waite and his mates were performing When I See You Smile, a song that spent two weeks at number one in November. Um, the members of Bad English have not been together long, but after listening to those four consecutive hits, um, one only naturally has to wonder what Bad English is doing as an opening act. So, you know, they gave, uh, gave some kudos to them. Um, however, one of the uh, later sections in the review says, title deserves its place. Whitesnake, though, proved that it deserves its place as headliner. The group performed a number of tunes from 1987 uh, Whitesnake album, which has sold 6 million copies in the United States alone You know, at, the, at this time. Um, the group stage, was, which was created by the designers of the Indiana Jones films, which I thought was interesting, was fairly elaborate. The most impressive part of the show was a dazzling light show that took place during Aldridge's drum solo. Concert was attended by uh, 7,106 people, which is obviously uh, much lower than the, the sold-out crowd they had uh, back in back in '87. Uh, so, something else quick to mention, and I haven't mentioned it on the previous two episodes, but these shows that I went to. Um, in Omaha, again, two hour, two and a half hour drive. I can remember on the rides home, always falling asleep, um, and then getting home and you know making my way uh, to my bedroom and and then going to going to sleep again. But that waking up, kind of obviously, you know, you've had this uh, waking up and forgetting where you are. But I can remember waking up and just almost feeling like I forgot everything about the concert, which. Um, really sucked. Um, but when I woke up, you know, in the morning, you know, some of the stuff would come back, but I, I hated that, um, <laughs> happening. So anyway, just, uh, uh, was thinking about that and wanted to, wanted to men- mention that. But again, overall it was a good show. And again, seeing Steve Vai live, um, you know, kind of in his prime there was, was great to see. So on to the band on the bill spotlight for this episode. So going to dive into an underrated album, I, I feel, uh, which was the album that this tour was supporting. So White Snake's Slip of the Tongue, released November 7th, 1989, and produced by Mike Klink and Keith Olsen. So Keith Olsen was back. He had produced the 87 White Snake album uh, was one of the two producers on that album, so he was back. And then they brought in Mike Klink as well. So his background, uh, Triumph, uh, Sport of Kings, Guns N' Roses, Appetite uh, for Destruction, Lies, and the Illusion albums. Uh, Motley Crue, a later album called New Tattoo. Uh, Megadeth, uh, Rust in Peace. UFOs, uh, live album Strangers in the Night, uh, Sammy Hagar, Marching to Mars, and then Hurricane, actually Over the Edge, uh, which we talked about back in the first uh, first episode. So, Adrian Vandenberg, uh, while he was a member of the band, uh, did not end up playing on the album uh, due to injury. Um, so, uh, the band consisted of uh, Coverdale, 
uh, Vi, Sarzo, and Aldridge. Uh, Don Airy actually credited uh, on the keyboards uh, for that for that album. So again, I remember buying it when it came out. Um, you know, obviously, you know, thinking and, and expecting something as good as as the '87 album. Um, overall, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of this record. I think it's I think it is underrated. Um, I I enjoyed it uh, from the first uh, listen. Obviously, I'd seen I think the video for "Fool for Your Lovin'" um, prior to buying the the record, um, and similar to. 87, the 87 album, they, they did uh, recycle uh, a song, which was the Fool for Your Lovin', and we'll talk about that uh, when, I, when I get to it in the track listing. So, one other thing I remember, and so again, I was a junior in high school. Uh, my, uh, Matt, my brother, was a, a sophomore in college, and I can remember uh, driving to Omaha to pick him up for... Thanksgiving break, um, Christmas break, I, I think it was Thanksgiving break, and I had the cassette, and we listened to it, um, and I can remember him commenting on the production, at least uh, kind of the sound of Coverdale's voice on the on the title track, um, and you know, and I, I, I think I have heard some people talk about the production, um, it's not the same as the 87 album. Um, but uh, overall, I think I think the production is 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 good. Um, so side one, slip of the tongue, great opener as I mentioned in the concert, uh, but it's uh, great uh, on the album as well. And, and mentioning the guitar fills um, by by Vi, it's uh, it's fantastic. So great uh, great kickoff, and then. Great one-two punch, uh, cheap and nasty. Um, great uh, riff, uh, again, um, written, recorded for the live stage. Uh, came across really well live. Uh, Fool for Your Loving, so as I mentioned, so it was the first single that was released. Um, it's a re-record from the 1980 album Ready and Willing. Um, Yen yeah, changed it quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, to have the, that great riff during the, the verse um, and cool riff during the bridge. Uh, it's funny about this, you go back and look at the video, man, they are really hamming it up uh, for the camera. But, I mean, it's 1989, right in the heyday of the uh, quote-unquote hair bands. Um, I, but cheesy... I mean, during the solo, Vi puts his guitar on the ground and plays the fretboard with both hands. Vi, Vi is uh, stretching out, you know, almost doing calisthenics in the in the video. Just again, cheesy, <laughs> cheesy '80s stuff. Um, track four, now you're gone. Um, third single released in the summer of '90. To me, a great power ballad surprised um again we didn't see it uh perform live i don't know if they added it or not um but i you know can remember the second verse uh that uh 
that lyric in the night I call out your name and the high-pitched uh, guitar note imitating the scream just very cool video for it was was cool basically a tour diary um, tour bus backstage uh, and concert footage you know of the of the show uh, that we saw so that was that was cool and then side one closes out with kittens got claws up-tempo rocker great guitar fills again throughout just a just a great song and came across great live so i mean a solid i mean there's nothing wrong with any of the songs on on side one um side two um kicks off with wings of the of the storm um to me out of everything on here this sounds like a song that could have been off of the 87 record uh has a real bad boys ish uh up-tempo riff to it breakdown uh during it very zeppelin uh zeppelin-ish um but great great upbeat um song to kick off side two um the second song so deep the deeper the love so here's your uh, main ballad again second single released in February of 90 kind of as the tour was starting so the timing of that is is uh, is not surprising um, surprised that it only made it to number 28 and again in my opinion uh, I feel this is a better song than uh, is this love um, for whatever whatever it is i kind of mentioned it in the first episode it was not a huge fan i mean a decent song but as ballads go not a not a huge fan of is is this love um i think this is much better much uh it's got actual guitars in it um and uh you know again the video talked about those huge banners that they ended up using uh, on the tour and then Tawny Katane was back um, as her role in, in the White Snake videos. Um, and actually, during the solo guitar solo, those banners ended up. I mean, there was there was light, hundreds of lights uh, behind those, and and just a, a really cool visual during the during the video. Um, track three on side two, Judgment Day. So didn't really realized this but this was supposed to be the first single at least that's what i was i was reading uh which is a curious um choice and i think they made the right choice uh with with fool for your loving um obviously judgment day it's i mean zeppelin all over it it's a lift from cashmere um but again great song great groove came across live well and you know maybe some foreshadowing here to uh coverdale um you know hooking up with uh, uh jimmy page um you know a few years later so um slow poke music comes up next and i you know did not like this song initially this might have been my least favorite song on the whole album when it originally came out over the years, it's grown on me. I think the main riff is cool. Verses are good. Chorus is still kind of lacking for me. Um, but overall, not not a, as bad of a song as I uh, as I thought. And then Sailing Ships, great album closer. Mellow, kind of epic feel, long song, um, but just a cool cool way to end end the album. So again, you know when you're following up 
you know, a, a huge record uh, like they were with the 1987 record, you know, it's going to be tough to uh, meet, meet those expectations. But, you know, I think this album gets uh, overlooked, gets forgotten. I mean, even, you know, in the first episode, what did I, I do? I, I put Slide It In up against the 87 record. Um, you know, I think this, this gets forgotten. You know, it's, it's sold, uh, went platinum. Um, you know, has some has some great songs on it that are, I think, just uh, uh, forgotten. You know, they obviously don't uh, um, delve into this album much uh, in their in their current set lists, uh, which I think is too bad because I think there's some great uh, great material on here. Um, and I'm but I'm I'm happy that I saw the sh- uh, the tour because again they played. Uh, you know, over half of the half the record, so it was it was good to good to see. So now on to the Slamfest tip of the week. So last week we talked about types of tours, right? Different types of tours that impact set list uh, lengths, uh, set times uh, with regards to the bands and when shows start. So this week, want to delve into uh, one of those. Uh, factors a little bit more, uh, which is the set times. So when at all possible, try to find out the set times of the bands, and that can help in planning your pregame and and tailgating uh, festivities. So in a perfect situation, the show would be at a venue where you can come and go. Now that's unfortunately become less and less common, uh, used to happen at festivals when you would get a wristband and you could come and go um, as you please. And, of course, that doesn't happen as often anymore. There were also some venues that I uh, have been to, and I'm sure you've been to, where um, they would let people go outside. If there was an inside venue, go outside to smoke. Um, and... A lot of times there wasn't necessarily a fenced-in area, so that was more of a come-and-go, uh, as-you-please situation, which uh, could lend itself well to um, pre-gaming and knowing, being able to go in and, and leave in between bands and that and that type of thing, which we've uh, we've done before. So technology uh, has helped with finding out this type of information. I mean, back in the day. You know, find myself calling the venue, um, emailing the venue. And again, sometimes they'd tell you and sometimes they wouldn't. If they would tell you, of course, they would always say it's subject to change. Um, but at least it could give you a, a ballpark. Um, in this day and age, a lot of arena and shed shows do have kind of a standard start time. Um, but again, that can fluctuate based on the number of bands that are on the on the bill um, at the at the venue um, emailing the venue you know would uh, would work sometimes and now with social media you know you've got Facebook uh, pages for the venues event pages for the specific um, shows and sometimes they will drill right into exactly uh, how the uh, set times are going to be for all the bands on the bill and then I've even done uh, Facebook messaging I mean you get responses pretty quick um, again with the with the caveat you know that that stuff is subject uh, 
subject to change. So anymore, I I hate going to a show and going into it blind and not knowing kind of when the when the set uh, times are. Um, you know, being afraid of uh, of missing something. And again, because we're trying to balance both things, right? Balancing the, the, the pregame experience with the show um, itself. Now, I had a situation happen where Showtime was listed as 7.30. Couldn't get a hold of anybody um, to kind of verify set times. And it was a two two-band bill, basically a national act, and then a more of a local opener, and the local opener was actually just a one-person acoustic guitar, so there was no teardown, um, so that person played for 20 minutes, um, you know, came off stage, and the headliner ended up starting at 8.15, which completely caught, um, caught us off guard, so, um, you know, we can get, we, we're taking the risk, you know, and we've been, we've been burned, uh, before, but, um, anymore it's, it's pretty easy to get, uh, um, set times. Also, you know, you can get on message boards and see people's reviews and they sometimes will list when people, uh, when the bands have come on stage. So, um, it helps, it helps a lot. Also wanted to mention a couple of situations that have happened to me recently, where some club shows in the Detroit area ended up emailing the venues, which most of those emails go to the the owners of the club, uh, whoever's uh, you know signing the bands uh, to play. And in two instances, one I was mistaken uh, for like the manager or somebody that was with the band, and had a had an owner email me back and say hey, give me a call at this number, and he gave me his personal cell phone number, which I called, and, you know, it took uh, took a little bit of time going back and forth to let him know that, hey, I'm just a fan trying to find out when the show uh, and the set times for the show are going to be. And then another instance where somebody came back and, you know, gave, went back and forth with me a couple times and then ended up saying, oops, I thought you were in the band um which which was which was a new one but anyway um find out the set times whenever you can and that'll help maximize your pre-gaming experience before shows so before we close this episode out with which side are you on wanted to take this opportunity to thank everybody uh, who has provided me with feedback on the podcast um who has listened who's downloaded it, uh, subscribed uh, to it as well. I appreciate it very much. Um, love the interaction uh, on the private Facebook page, uh, on the polls that I've been putting up. Um, it's fun to see. So um, wanted to say that um, now and let you know that I, my schedule is such that I'm not recording these episodes uh, each week. I'm recording several of them in advance um, in order to uh, stay on a weekly schedule. So uh, it's not real time uh, when I'm recording them. Um, so just wanted to take an opportunity um, to thank everybody who's been been listening. So on to the which side are you on? 
and we are going to go with the opener uh, this time and delve into Bad English's debut album, self-titled album, which was released in uh, June of 89, June 26th, produced by Richie Zito, and a little bit about his, uh, his resume, so Eddie Money's Can't Hold Back, Cheap Trick, Lap of Luxury, and Busted, Heart, the Brigade album, The Cult, Ceremony, Poison, Native Tongue, and Mr. Big, Actual Size. So quite a, uh, a variety uh, there with Richie Zito. Um, Neil Sean, again, great, great guitar playing on, on this album. Um, little surprised, little disappointed that he's, uh, out of the 13 songs on this album, he's only had, had a hand in, in five of them from a co- co-writing standpoint which again kind of lends itself to its uh, um, pop pop rock um, feel to it again I think uh, Neil Sean um, brought kind of the heavy the hard rock uh, edge to, to the journey stuff so if we delve into side one again leads off with best of what I've got which is what they led off the show with uh, when I saw them. Again, cool song. Obviously has that that uh, introduction uh, part, which lends itself to the the first song and the and the first song in a in a set list. Um, cool bridge, guitar fills. Um, you know the rock in the neighborhood uh, shout out before the short and sweet solo by. By Sean, um, but again, keyboard-heavy song. Um, even though uh, he had a, a, a co-writing credit on this um, track, two "Heaven Is a Four-Letter Word," one of the better songs on the album. Uh, great riff, heavier song uh, overall. Um, cool riff during the verses. Great chorus. Actually, would have I would have kicked the song off uh, or the album off with this song. But in doing that, not sure where you'd put the uh, um, best of what I've got. So um, I think they got it right. Um, and again, cool breakdown before the solo uh, as well. Going into the song Possession, which, you know, is this a ballad or just a mid-tempo mellow song? Um, in any event, it's the, it's the first uh, mellower song uh, on the record. Overall, um, you know, not a not a bad song. Um, track four, "Forget Me Not," um, might be the best song on here. Um, debatable, which is why we're talking about it. Uh, the beginning to me sounds like uh, Saint Elmo's Fire, but then it gets it rocks up, uh, rocks up a little bit more during the bridge and, and chorus. Um, track five, so here's the the hit uh, when I see you smile um, as I mentioned number one for a couple weeks um, Diane Warren uh, was the writer on this um, again this song never you know really did anything for me and again I'm a fan of ballads um, but it just uh, for whatever reason um, and to me is not the 
best ballad on the album and we'll get uh, get to that when we get on to side two then it closes out with tough times don't last again keyboard heavy intro cool riff though but it's just buried uh in the mix um again in cheesy lyrics tough times don't last lovers do um again not a not a bad song um but I think placed in the closing spot of side one for, for a reason. So so there's side one. And then getting into side two, Ghost in Your Heart. Kind of a mellower mid-tempo song. Uh, harmonies to me during the chorus sound a lot like Aerosmith. Um, kind of an odd choice to kick off side, side two. Um, but good song. Um, track uh, two on side two, Price of Love. So, in my opinion, better song than When I See You Smile. Only made it to number five on the charts, but hey, top ten song. Uh, great verse, uh, melody uh, to this song. And again, uh, I prefer this song over over the big the big hit. And was was uh, pleased to see, obviously, that they they did it live. Uh, Ready when you are. Great riff during uh, the intro and during the verse. Chorus is lacking a bit, um, and as on other songs, the keyboards uh, kind of overbearing and kind of weaken weaken the track to me. Um, going into the next song, "Lay Down," cool upbeat song. Um, the must be love uh, bridge part. Uh, again, chorus is uh, has kind of an Aerosmith feel. To me, very cool uh, song overall. Um, then it goes into the Restless Ones, which is a great song. And to me, should have replaced the song Possession uh, as the sixth single. Yes, they released six singles off of this. Um, but this is, a, this is a much better song than, uh, than uh, Possession. And then we go into Rockin' Horse, which... I know I mentioned Forget Me Night Not might be the best uh, song on the album. Well, it's uh, up against Rockin' Horse, which has a fantastic riff. Neil Sean is all over this. It actually um, kind of reminds me of uh, Night Songs from Cinderella. Um, again, not you know, just just the actual the notes, not necessarily the the tempo. Um, and then the riff towards the end of the chorus reminds me, um, you know, I can't, I can't place it exactly, whether it's something from Pearl Jam, something from Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, it even kind of sounds a little bit like Lonely as the Night, um, from Billy Squire. But again, might be the best song on the album. Um, and it was great to, to see it live. Uh, can really can remember um, them rocking it up and and uh, and performing it live. Then the album ends. Inside two ends with "Don't Walk Away." Just a pandering ballad. Has kind of a missing you vibe to it to me uh, when it starts, but just uh, just a throwaway track. Uh, to me um, so there you go so side one versus side two um, you know this is really this was actually pr- 
pretty difficult. More difficult than what I thought it was going to be. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my my favorite ballad on the album is on side two. Um, you've got probably the best song on the album with Rockin' Horse on side two. And then you throw in um, Lay Down, The Restless Ones. Um, I think I, I've got to give the edge, even though Forget Me Not, um, Heaven is a Four-Letter Word are on, on side one, I think side two. I think the scale just just uh, uh, goes down a little bit more uh, with, with side two. So side two of Bad English's debut album wins for me now something else that was interesting and we'll get into this more with some of the other artists and bands that we that i'll be covering is this album has 13 songs on it which is too many so we'll from time to time do a cut it down to 10 and so if i were to cut this album down to 10 and kind of re reorder uh reorder the track listing this is this is how i would see it side one leads off heaven is a four-letter word track two lay down then forget me not price of love and then close with tough times don't last side two start off with best of what i've got when i see you smile ready when you are the restless ones and then close it out with the rockin', rockin' horse song. So that's that's how I would have uh, laid out the track listing if it would have been a, a ten song album. Did any of you see White Snake on the Slip of the Tongue tour, otherwise known as the Liquor and Poker tour in 1990? If so, what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that show? Who opened for you? What are your opinions of the underrated slip of the tongue record? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on the debut from Bad English? Side one or side two? Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>